What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Baseball America's College Podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk college baseball. I'm Teddy Cahill. We've got John Manuel, Jim Schonard here to talk about the latest edition of the Baseball America Top 25, powered by Louisville Slugger, Power in Numbers. Uh, So this week, the poll looks uh, reasonably similar. The first eight teams stay the same. Uh, Only one new team coming in, Texas A&M enters, Wright State leaves after losing a series at South Carolina. Uh, Shout out to the Raiders, though, finishing (laughs) an incredible start to the season, an incredibly difficult start to the season at Clemson, at South Carolina. They went 3-3. How many teams go on the road to Clemson and South Carolina and go 3-3, period? Like, would North Carolina or Georgia or LSU go on the road there and go 3-3. Three and three. I mean, I just, I, I, I said that's hard to do for anybody. It's a very admirable 3-3, uh, three and three, I think. I'm with you. That's why we ranked them last week on the 2-1. and one. Um, But also, kudos to South Carolina. It's kind of a nice sign for South Carolina to, you know, and for Clemson, to schedule Wright State. Wright State's not a team. We saw them last year here at NC State. Jim, I think you and I both said this on a podcast last year. Like, that's not a – you don't, like, draw fans for a weekend series no. in February because, oh, Wright State's coming to town. but And it doesn't even really help your RPI, but it does help your team because Wright yeah. State's always competitive and a constant factor in their league, usually winning their league. I mean, I, I, I think all these schools deserve credit for scheduling them. And we talked a little bit uh, last week, I think it was on either the Facebook Live or the podcast, that it would have been easier for South Carolina to look past them to their credit so that they, uh, so they, so they didn't do that, they won that series, and... Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of one of those deals where when you schedule right state, it's as a coaching staff and as you know leaders on the team, you got to you know don't just look at the the name on the front of the jersey. I mean that's that's a group that's won a lot of games. They play in the postseason, you know, every year they've won games in the postseason. So it's it, you got to respect them. And to their to South Carolina's credit, it looks like they did that. And South Carolina, one of the reasons that they're good this year, really highly ranked, fifth ranked this week, even with a five and three record, but. Now, there are very few teams that have a one-two punch the top of the rotation, Teddy, like they have with Clark Schmidt and Will Crow. And yet, I don't know that they have the best one-two punch maybe in the SEC East, as good as those guys are. Because so far, I know last summer, even in Omaha last year after they were eliminated, Kevin O'Sullivan talking about, like, this is going to be difficult to get over. But one reason I know I can get over it is I know that next year I have Fado and these two freshmen, now sophomores, and Jackson Coar and Brady Singer coming back. And we can see why he was eager to see what this team would look like. Because so far, Florida's rotation, I don't know if the kids still say off the chain. Uh, <laughs> but if they do, then I'm saying that they're off the chain. It is really incredible. Uh, I mean, those are three guys that have the potential to be top ten picks in the next two years. Fado was number one on our college top 100 bra- draft prospects this year. Brady Singer could easily be number one next year, and Jackson Coar is not very far behind. Um, I mean, those guys, they were incredible this weekend against Miami. Florida sweeps the series against the Hurricanes. It's the first time they've swept that series since 2012, and they win it most years. But to be able to finish... every year. Yeah. uh, Miami... It's amazing how they kind of own Miami now. Well, they own the whole state. I mean, they've won the season series against Florida State almost... I, like I don't know how far that one goes back, but they won. Jacksonville two. would disagree. Jacksonville, <laughs> Jacksonville did walk off on uh, on Florida this week on, on Tuesday night. They they got Florida for a, a three two victory. But you know, the Gators, I mean, 
the starting staff when they've got those guys going, I mean they're they're really they're going to be incredibly difficult to beat all weekend. Miami didn't score for the first 21 innings of this series. There, there are so many incredible stats that you can run out about how dominant Florida's pitching staff this weekend was, especially their starters who threw 22 of the 27 innings. But the one one I guess when I talked to Sully last night, he made two points. One was that they only walk; they didn't walk guys. They walked nine guys all weekend. And Miami usually has really Miami, good approaches. Yes. I mean, I know that Zach Collins led the country in walks last year, and he's gone. But it's in general. This is a theme of Jim Morris coach teams, just like it is with my with Florida State. You know, Miami's not to that extent, but that is that's a, 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 a feature of their program. Right. They, I mean, they hit for power. They take walks. Like they have a very mature approach in general at Miami and Florida threw a bunch of strikes. They only walked nine guys all weekend, and then pr- probably even more importantly, the Hurricanes only got the leadoff batter on in four of twenty-seven innings. It's really hard to score runs if you aren't getting walks or the leadoff batter. And Florida only made one error. Like there, there's just, Florida's not giving you anything. You had to earn everything, and Miami was unable to break through for, for most of the series. And against those three pitchers, it's really hard to string three and four hits together. If they're not giving you walks and you're not getting any extra outs, it's very hard to, to string that together. Fajardo in three career starts against Miami. 20 innings pitched, five hits. This is from your own tweet, Teddy. 20 innings, five hits, two runs, one earned, seven walks, 27 strikeouts. So 12 base runners allowed, basically, in those 20 innings. The Hurricanes will not be sorry to see him go in any way, shape, or form. And yet, (laughs) as good as he is, and he's really stinking good, Brady Singer's probably better. Isn't he? I mean, I mean like I, the I, I think the ceiling's higher potentially. Uh, I mean, and his his best is better than Alex Fado's best. That's, that's yeah. a better way to put it. Yeah, uh, I mean, Singer went out. The like he followed Fado almost threw a shutout. He should have thrown a shutout. The one error was with two outs in the ninth, and uh, Florida kicked a ball or threw a ball away, and and let, Fado thought he'd done it, um, but the there was an error, and then he walked the next guy and. Uh, Sully went and got him because it was a one to nothing game, and um, they uh, they finished off the shutout. But you know, Sinner comes out the next day, strikes out eleven. Um, he was a little bit more wild, three walks, five hits for for Miami. But when I mean his fastball, Logan Short tweeted last week um, during source. during Sinner's start that that Brady Sinner's fastball was the best he's ever seen, and I wow. mean it just has so much sink, like it's insane, and. So you're going to – he it moves a lot, so he can get swings and misses on it. It's in the mid-90s. It's difficult to hit. And if you do hit it, you're probably not going to square it up. You're probably hitting it into the ground. If you know any pro ball uh, as well as college baseball, let's just remind you, as you wrote in 2015, Teddy, at the Florida recruiting class that year in high school, state of Florida pitching, included Jacob Woodford and Thomas Apucky. Thomas Apucky, I'm blanking on Jacob Woodford. I, I was getting mixed up with Tristan McKenzie. Who signed Jake Woodford? The Cardinals. Cardinals signed Jake Woodford. He's in the handbook. Thomas Apucky's in the Mets' top ten. And when he was healthy last year in rookie ball, he shoved for the Mets. I mean, like he's got devastating stuff. So you were, they probably weren't expecting to get any of those guys. Singer was the highest drafted, highest unsigned high school player in that year's draft class. So they were fortunate to get one of those three. But, I mean, Brady Singer so far is... He's, he had a – when you're the highest-drafted guy who doesn't sign, you have pretty high expectations. Look at the way we talk about Lodolo this year, Nick Lodolo. And he's one of the reasons why TCU was preached as a number one. Might be a good transition. But Brady Singer had very high expectations, and he's living up to them so far. And he just made them – he made us anticipate him even more last year with his summer in the Cape. I just think it's remarkable, though, that Florida has had this reputation for pitching for so long – but it's really been built with both starters and bullpen. But as you mentioned, this weekend they pitched 22 innings out of the 27. If Florida's going to get back to Omaha again, the starters are going to be the ones pulling the majority of the weight. It's not going to be this devastating bullpen. It's going to be these three guys carrying a disproportionate share compared to past Sully staffs. Yeah, I mean, last year, obviously, Logan Shore was giving you at least seven, it felt like, every Friday night. But then, uh, you know, with A.J. Puck, sometimes it was up and down, and sometimes you needed Dane Dunning to piggyback him. And that was uh, especially the case later in the season. Um, And then they had Sean Anderson, who was a top 100 pick, coming out and closing. 
And Florida, I mean, the bullpen arms are younger. They're going to work them out, I feel pretty confident in, in reason to be confident but right don't sully, figure that out. sully figures out his bullpen he's never not had enough arms but right now the difference between the starters and the bullpen is like they i mean just in terms of where these guys are in terms of draft prospects like the starters are far ahead frank rubio is a really nice senior to have at the back of your bullpen closing but you know he's not going to be like sean anderson going to the top 100 picks right so florida they probably don't need their bullpen as much this year because their starters are so good. Uh, and, and we saw that this weekend that, uh, you know, if they can if they can go out and pitch 22 of 27 innings on a weekend, then, uh, I mean, you don't need your bullpen all that much. I mentioned uh, earlier, I mentioned uh, Nick Lodolo. Let's transition a little bit to TCU real quick. Jimmer, just uh, anything stand out to you this weekend for this Arizona State TCU series? 15,000 fans Nearly yeah, Ward. That's pretty good. Yeah, no, two weeks in a row I think they've had to run that number. They've, they've been pretty good they have college great, baseball attendance so far all, all, yeah, around the country that I've noticed. It, it's, it really is around the country. Uh, I mean, Minnesota put 4,600 people in the Vikings stadium this weekend to, to watch them sweep Seattle. I mean, it, it is everywhere. Um, and it, It's been very impressive. I've talked to multiple coaches about this, and I – they think some of it is the weather. Some of it is just people are excited about college baseball. It, it's noteworthy, though. And, oh, and, sure. and as does TCU start, I mean, this is – I know they lost the game this weekend. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they've been to Omaha three years in a row. But they've never been preseason number one. Yeah. They've had – they've been number one, what, once before? The Matt Perk year, 2010, I think? Uh, they were they not. Were never, this not preseason was the first time they'd ever been number one, period. I mean, so, yeah. so, so it's a little bit bigger target on their backs. Yeah. They seem like they're handling it all right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was one of the things uh, Jim Schlossnagel, their coach, talked about in the preseason was that that Matt Perk coming off the Matt Perk year, they, he didn't think they handled it very well. The the pressure of being, I think they were number three. That's why that was in my head. Yeah, there you go. And uh, and they didn't. He didn't think they handled that season very well. That I guess that would have been the eleven season. Uh, but so yeah, so they definitely talked a lot about you know how to approach it, how to handle the pressure, how to handle you know the expectations, and the fact that everyone's going to be gunning for you. So they and so far, I mean. To do, uh, they've been, what they're seven and one. They swept Penn State. Now they take two out of three from uh, ASU. And I think on the field, I mean, what's it, I mean, certainly the pitching will be there. Obviously, it wasn't in the game they lost, but you know the offense. I think Schloss thing we'll talk about. This could be their their best lineup that they've had since he's been there. And so far, it looks like they've lived up to it. I mean, they've been scoring seven, eight runs pretty much every game. You know, Luke and Baker's hitting some home runs. They're really deep. They're really athletic. And yeah, I mean, that's they're a very complete team. And now this week. I mean, this is probably the best. This is as good a test as anybody's going to have with Rice, and then going to the the uh, the, mid, the Houston College Classic, as it's formerly known now, the Shriners Hospitals for Children College Classic at Minute Maid with three uh, three ranked teams. That's All, but it's kind of become a big. Tw- I think it's. I guess it's kind of an unofficial uh, this year big the, 12 the SEC challenge. Is, yeah. yeah. Which I also love that you talk about with Minnesota that they want to make that they're going to kind of formalize that. In the coming years, but I guess the the two things that stuck out to me was a that Baker's already got three home runs. <laughs> Luke Baker, uh, this transition to being a full time hitter, going well. So uh, yeah, not not so bad so far. Nick Lodolo was solid, but also kind of a little pressure. You lose Friday, you're pitching Saturday, coming off a loss. He didn't pitch great, give a decent amount of base runners, but made pitches when he had to and pitched well enough to get a victory. That's a nice sign. They pulled that game out late, too. Right. And then the other part of that for me is uh, this is just more of kind of what I wrote about last year at the Coddled Series is, you see, I know Bill Mosiello goes way back with Andy Stankiewicz, their childhood friends, if I remember this correctly from the past stories, but they worked together in the Yankees organization, Andy and Bill did. Now Mo is the assistant coach at TCU and is in charge of the hitters there, and they are one of the most aggressive offensive approaches. And just if you talk to, to scouts about college baseball and they and they stop ha- you know they stop railing on it first of all, which is just you know I, I think it's just almost it's not even based all in fact anymore. Now a lot of it's based on oh we were there for four hours the other day or you know they just nitpick everything. So I think part of it's just like part of the job. The other part of it is they really respect the teams that have really consistent offensive approaches, and TCU really has a consistent offensive approach. A team who, you heard the same thing about Indiana a couple of years ago. I know a lot of it was Kyle Schwarber and Sam Travis. But you heard that consistently about Tracy Smith's clubs at Indiana. Been a little shakier start the first year plus at Arizona State. That's, a, that's not easy. He was taking over a program that was 
had fallen down a little bit in terms of its recruiting, especially its talent base. And your first year there, Arizona goes to Omaha. I mean, that, that's tough. Second year. Second year. I'm sorry, second year there. So now the progress this year had been a little slow, but I think it's important for them to have gone to TCU. They played pretty well. Teddy, it's, it's younger pitching. Uh, they started the Iowa freshman, whose name I can't pronounce, on Sunday. <laughs> Spencer Van something. Skoyak. Skoyak, who I know the Blue Jays drafted as well. Uh, he and Brady Singer could have compared Blue Jays scouting notes. Um, what did you see out of Arizona State this weekend? What are the positives Tracy Smith and the Sun Devils could take from it? What are, what are the things they need to work on to be to, to win one of these series in the future? Because the goal at Arizona State is not just to be competitive, it's to win national championships. Well, I mean, I think the, uh, you know, the, the going to TCU is very difficult to do. So this was the first time this Arizona State team is on the road. You're going to a really tough environment. So to go out on Friday night and to, to put 13 runs on the board. That's pretty good. Yeah, I think, I think that is like number one, the thing to take away from is that you know, if we just go and play our game, like we can, like we just beat the number one team in the country, and we scored thirteen runs on them. Like we we can do this. Yeah. And so I think that's important. I I think just there's a lot of there are a lot of young players here. Arizona State brought in a top ten recruiting class uh, in the fall, and a lot of them are playing. Spencer Van Scoy is yep. playing. Um, they, they have several several players like that playing, and they have you know there's some sophomores playing too. Tyler Williams. In the outfield stands out as, as a sophomore who had a, a pretty good weekend for them. And so, I mean, they're, they're a younger team right now, especially in certain key areas. And they just need to, you know, develop more confidence. And I think that's what this weekend does. Uh, you know, they, they were in position to win on Sunday. Uh, TCU was able to come back and, and win that. But, you know, they, uh, they, they competed hard all weekend. And, you know, they nearly – I mean, they, it, it would have been – pretty simple or, or they were close to pulling this series out right. and that would have been huge for them but I think they should still leave Fort Worth feeling pretty good about themselves you're right I mean the, the expectations at Arizona State are much higher than feeling good about yourself right. uh, but you know they, they they're playing difficult teams here at the outset of the season and that competition is going to help this young team grow up and it took them a little while to figure it out last year before they got it together and and became a regional caliber team and you know, if they can if they can work towards that again this year, I think they're going to be in pretty good shape. You're sitting there going into the number one team in the country on the road, and you're hitting freshman three four and Carter Alderdy and Lyle Wynn. That is, a, and, and Hunter Bishop's in the nine hole. Uh, there, there's some some significant pieces of that freshman class, and to turn things around, you know, you're kind of expecting that it's going to be the younger guys who are doing that when you're talking about recruiting that recruiting had flagged previously. So. Um, I thought it was a pretty big, pretty, pretty important win on Friday for Arizona State, but then pretty important for TCU to kind of hold serve the rest of the weekend. Um, the, uh, I guess the other team that stood out to me, and again, I haven't, I wasn't on last week's podcast, but the other team that stood out to me this, the first two weeks, I'm sure you guys talked about them a lot last week when they swept East Carolina as Ole Miss. Um, they're a surprise so far. I mean, again, it's not a huge surprise for an SEC team to. To beat, even if it's East Carolina was number six in the preseason, it's not really a huge upset for Ole Miss to win that, especially when they had the number one recruiting class in the country. But they, they've played a lot of freshmen so far um, as well. Teddy, what's what's the other key for them getting off of the 7-0 start so far? Well, uh, last week when we talked about it, even on the Facebook Live, Jimmer, I mean, we, we talked about how it wasn't going to get easier, particularly. Like, yes, no. East Carolina, that was a good series win. It was a, it was a great great to sweep that. But you see Wilmington. You, yeah, that's Wilmington. Like, like uh, yeah, they were in a regional final last year, and I know they feel like they probably should have won that regional. You know, so they had – they just needed to – South Carolina needed to beat them twice, and Wilmington couldn't quite stop that from happening. But um, – you know, Wilmington is driven this year. They they believe this is the year for them to break through to super regionals or, or more um, with that offense. And Ole Miss did not really have much of a trouble this weekend. They again sweep. Um, the 20, Twenty-three runs scored. I mean, UNC Wilmington. I think of Wilmington as an offense-first ball club. I guess that was validated a little bit this weekend <laughs> that uh, they could not keep Ole Miss off the board. You know, uh, eight, seven, eight, and eight in those three games. Pretty consistent showing by the Rebels. I know the UNCW plays a good schedule every year. I just got to think going to Swayze, going to that ballpark, even early in the year, 
just not an easy place to play. Not at all. I mean, I, I haven't looked to see what their attendance was this week, but that's another place that set an attendance record last weekend. I mean, Ole Miss is fired up for this team, and they're fired up for these freshmen. They're fired up for a few of them are hometown kids. Uh, Mike Bianco has told me that they, he's never really had hometown kids hmm. in Oxford before, but this year's they, they have some, and so the fans are excited about that. And the they 26,000, almost 27,000 fans on hand for the weekend. <laughs> that's a little I mean, down from last week, but that's still incredible. I'm telling you, this is not, uh, this is not usual. I mean, this is really unusual. I know SEC basketball is bad, you know, so this is part of, part of it. But, I mean, that, that's not the case of TCU. Jamie Dixon, you know, TCU's right. been competitive. They got job this weekend. I don't know if you saw that at all. <laughs> I saw the Twitter uh, uproar about it. I they got job. I don't remember the name of the player who uh, got called for a late foul, but that was a cheap foul late in the game. You can see I'm still transitioning out of <laughs> basketball mode. I do love college basketball. But, um, you know, TCU's drama, I- I'm just I'm blown away by some of the attendance numbers. But I am, I am really impressed. I thought that UNC Wilmington's lineup would at least get, allow them to win one of those games this weekend. So I, I, I still believe in the Omahawks, as they like to, <laughs> used to, they used to call themselves. I don't think they do that anymore. I think, I think that's a... Uh, that hashtag has gone by the boards. Yeah, I think the year they tried to trot that out was the one year they were not so good. So. I think you're right. But I mean, like... <laughs> they kind of ditched it. But, I mean, this seems like the kind of thing, guys, that for, if you're UNC Wilmington, you should be able to learn from mm-hmm. in the future, the rest of the year, if you don't let it really dent your confidence. I mean, that's the key, it seems to me, Jimmer, is that, you know, now maybe you kind of get a taste of what it takes to compete. At that level. Exactly. I mean, it's kind of what, uh, like what Teddy was talking about, where they weren't able to finish the deal in a regional last year. So you're kind of hope that, all right, we've been on the road in a really tough place, and we, you know, we've you know, we, we've seen what we have. We hopefully know what we have to do better to be able to finish these games. And obviously, they will get some more chances. They'll play midweek games with you know the they play State, Coastal the, this week. There you go, and they'll yeah, play yeah, like yeah. NC State, and North Carolina, the usual uh, mid you know in-state teams they play. So they get some more experience against power conference teams, but. Yeah, I mean this. I mean, you got to learn from, the, you know, from experience, an experience like this. If you're gonna, because if you're gonna win a regional, you are most likely you're gonna have to win on the road, right? So it's it's all it's it's an important experience for them, and and they are you know they are feel like they usually are an older team. The, the Seahawks, they have guys like Nick Fate and guys like that, who's guys that were there last year that have been around, and yeah, it's so you you would hope that from a game from a weekend like this that they can you know take some lessons from it and hopefully. When, when, and when it really when June rolls around, that maybe they can, uh, you know, they can actually can hold 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 it hold the line a little better. We also mentioned uh, I meant we were talking about attendance sixteen thousand plus at McKeithen Stadium this weekend for Florida. That's a program record for a weekend series. So that's one place where you don't see the the huge crowds typically. Not they were they were sold out on Saturday. I think they were probably sold out on Friday. Uh, it was they were they were fired up for that series. I mean, it is a huge rivalry, but they were fired up for it. You heard the Minnesota thing, and this is all in the Teddy's off the bat column. Comes out every Monday morning. Um, Forty six hundred fans over the weekend, which is uh, SEC fans would scoff. Like, come on, that's half of our uh, that's half of that's like our season ticket. I feel like every time you make a reference to attendance, correct. Non SEC teams are going to get that uh, that reaction. The scoff. But, yeah. This is correct. This, this, uh, the scoffing will happen. But I, I love that you. First of all, U.S. Bank Stadium. So all the, back to having an indoor place for for Minnesota. It is amazing that they won the league last year without the indoor home. Isn't they it? only had 17 home games against Division One teams last year, That's and they crazy. they won the Big Ten like that. And there's just zero surprise that 2020 SEC teams want to get up there. SEC teams already recruit the heck out of Minnesota. Logan Shore, AJ Puckett from Iowa. And that's not the only school. I mean, uh, Arkansas has consistently gone up to Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and then they couldn't do it because Vanderbilt went and got Jaron Kendall. So all these SEC schools consistently recruit that area anyway. It's another reason. Here's another reason why they want to play in that tournament. A, Minnesota's going to bring in other good teams. You're guaranteed you're going to play. There is baseball interest. People in Minnesota are dying to watch baseball in February. But, oh, by the way, you can have recruits come see your team up close and personal. Yeah, I mean – uh, when I was talking with uh, Coach John Anderson last night about that, I mean, he, he like that's a big recruiting tool for him now moving forward that they have this this building that they can play in, and um, it's a cool thing. They, they all like the setup from the field. Um, it's just three games in, but they, 
they had one minor issue with the mound. They had some dirt in it. And now after the first game, they decided to go with total turf. There's no dirt in that place at all. Um, but everyone was otherwise happy with it. It'll get a bit more of a test this weekend when they have their their, their tournament with uh, Iowa, Hawaii, and Oral Roberts. But the Dairy Queen Classic, the Dairy Back, Queen baby. Classic, yes. Uh, but you know, in the future, next year it's a Pac-12 Big Ten challenge. The following year, it's the ACC, and yeah, I mean, there's interest to potentially create a Big Ten SEC challenge up there. And um, you know, one thing the coaches are all looking for at the start of the season is just a guarantee, or as much guarantee as you can possibly give. That you will play games. Oregon State uh, coach Pat Casey was talking to, to Mike Lanana about this uh, a couple weeks ago. That's why they go to surprise Arizona every year because they can't get teams, they can't convince teams that the weather in Corvallis will be okay right. the first couple weeks of the season. So they go to surprise where they can basically say that, like, look, it's Arizona, we'll play. The well, weather here this weekend was so good that Teddy got in a 22-16 to 16 game at, uh, in, at Spartan on Spartan Crime. That was ridiculous. I didn't even think about the, the Spartan. Uh, it was, it was all Spartan. I did it until I went to write a tweet, and I discovered that I couldn't say Spartans. <laughs> Is it like, did they just play the 300 on a loop there? Uh, they did not. I don't know what they uh, what they do at Michigan State, but I, I've, I've seen... Multiple games now at Greensboro. I've never heard the uh, the 300 theme. I have to admit, I have a soft spot for that. Not just because I'm Greek, uh, and it's definitely not because I have good abs like Gerard <laughs> Butler. It's actually the, quite the opposite. But uh, I have a soft spot for that movie, and I just hear the word Spartan, and now I hear him saying it. It's really sad. I can't get that out of my head. That's the movie's been out for like what? That was like 10, 11 it years ago. Definitely a decade ago. Yeah. I mean, I just remember UC Irvine marching into Wichita State in 2007 and doing like these Spartan chants. So. I'm a little past the time. That, that, that show, that, that movie's a little baked, but it's still a little washed. But it still comes up in, in my head when I hear that Spartans. Um, who else did you see this weekend, Teddy? I saw a little Penn State Xavier. Yeah, I was there for for the first day of that when uh, Salbiazzi was taking on uh, Zach Lothar from uh, from Xavier. And Lothar's the maybe they're both draft of draft interest. Lothar uh, led the Cape in strikeouts over the summer, so he is a little higher on boards right now as a big lefty that gets swings and misses on strikeouts. It was not his best day. It The first inning looked like it might be. He struck out the side, but Penn State was able to make an adjustment, and uh, they beat him for the first win of the season after getting swept over at TCU. But Xavier um, and Penn State split that series. Xavier, the Big East favorites last year, they, they won the Big East, went to a regional final. Uh, they're looking to to keep that going. They're 500 this year after splitting four game series with Penn State and Troy. Um, it's still a pretty good team, and Penn State uh, trying to you know keep keep the progress going under under Coach Cooper. It's another very young roster. When you look up and down that Penn State roster, I know there's some veteran guys like Willie Berger at first base. But I was just surprised the best swings I saw, and I'm going to blank on the kid's name. He was second baseman. I think his name was Haynes. Second, I think it was Alex Haynes playing second base. Uh, he's out of Apex, North Carolina. He looked right at home playing in Cary. Um, really quality swings all day Sunday. But I just was um, uh, a little bit surprised at just how youthful that Penn State lineup was. It was uh, freshmen and sophomores, uh, heavy reliance on freshmen and sophomores. But they swung the bat well. Um, that was the coolest day of the weekend, but a lot of, a lot of uh, warmer weather that was also seen around here. But tell you, this is a big weekend for college baseball tournaments. I'm spinning ahead. I'm sure there's other things we could review this week as well, but I might leave that to you two guys. Uh, the spinning ahead, you've got the Leclerc Classic this weekend at East Carolina. It's a top fifteen team that's uh, playing uh, playing at home this weekend. But the the big uh, the the Shriner Classic, as you alluded to earlier, Jimmer, mm-hmm. uh, what used to be called the Astros College Classic, that field is as loaded as it's ever been. Best field ever. I mean, it seems like it's, it's they've had some really top. good fields. I the, I have to like go through and review the 17 year history of this thing, but I can't imagine that it's ever been better than this. I mean, you have the number one team in the country, TCU. You have the number four team in the country, LSU. Uh, you have three other ranked teams: Te- Texas Tech, Ole Miss, and Texas A and M. The only team in the field not ranked is Baylor, and Baylor is nine and zero, and they just swept South Alabama, which is a very solid program, uh, a, big, a team that we think is a regional team. It was a big win for Baylor, I felt like. Uh, and you spe- you know, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's possible to take Baylor out of the current Baylor context in any way, but Baylor well, Kim will take, is doing her best to make sure that you don't exactly Baylor. And that's what I'm saying. Baylor will take good news right now. 
Um, so Steve Rodriguez, who kind of walked into this Hornets nest, they had Baylor coming from uh, Pepperdine. I had very good reasons to take that job, I'm sure. Um, I don't have the specifics because it's a private school job. But all that dude did at Pepperdine was uh, go to his alma mater where he played, won a national championship as a player, and he got him to a super regional as a head coach. And he did a really nice job as a head coach, uh, coach with the college national team as an assistant. And so now he's tasked at Baylor with replacing a guy who was there a long time, and Steve Smith. He was one of the guys. I believe who, Steve Smith is the winningest coach in Baylor history. He had yeah. a very good run there for a while. He had a really good run and made Baylor relevant nationally and got an Omaha one year. So it's not twice. I think it was twice. But um, you know, made Baylor a relevant baseball program. So not an easy guy to replace. So I imagine this weekend's almost as important for Baylor as for anybody else because that school needs positive pub, and right now the baseball program is providing it. Well, I think this weekend has a chance to be a moving weekend in the country for everyone because so many teams are playing against top competition throughout the country. If you make noise this weekend, like it's going to be very loud. Whoever comes out of Houston with big wins, I don't know if anyone's going to sweep through there. Or If you even come out of Houston with two wins this weekend, no matter who you are, it's going to be have been a very successful, important weekend for you. And Baylor obviously has a lot to, a lot to gain. Um, but they all do. I mean, even TCU has a lot to gain. This is going to be the toughest competition that these teams face right. for a long time. Like, eventually, TCU will get into Big 12 play, and they will face Texas Tech on the road. But for now, this this is the biggest weekend for the first month-plus of the season for so many teams around the country, definitely for all the teams in Houston. But, I mean, there's another tournament in Frisco that has Arizona – Oklahoma State, Nebraska, and Arkansas. Like, that's loaded. Um, the Dodgertown Classic is UCLA, USC, Michigan, and San Diego. None of those teams are ranked, but that's a huge weekend. Like, that's that's four really strong programs, four teams that have regional aspirations. And, you know, I mean, so no matter where you are this weekend, it feels like, for the most part, you are you have a chance to, to really make a statement. And it's especially true in Houston. And on Friday night, we're going to get TCU against LSU and a top five showdown, which is, I mean, that, that's that's a great way to start that that tournament off. We talked about SEC East. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the one-two punch in the SEC West of Jared Poche and Alex Lang. Jared Poche, Jim Rowley, we've been doing this a long time. I don't remember anybody coming out of the shoot with back-to-back you know, threatening Vandermeer. On I know, right? I mean, when does that happen? Maybe Poche's Cajun for Vandermeer. I don't know. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. I mean, Johnny Vandermeer needed the apostrophe in his name. That's right. Well, he, the, the, I don't think the Dutch have apostrophe. Uh, he just had, they just have three names. Well, I think Durr means apostrophe. In, in uh, there you go. <laughs> but, I mean, like, uh, it's pretty – got to be pretty good to put Alex Lang as the, your wingman, you know. Uh, clearly, Poche's doing something right. Yeah, I know. It was kind of funny um, when I talked to uh, – when I did the feature on Lang in the, in the preseason, um, and one of the things Paul Maneri talked about was they, when they were moving – so, like, the last two years, Poche's been the Friday guy, and they had Lang on Saturdays, and they flipped him this year. I think They him, flipped it partway through last year. Okay, but, but like... He one started opening uh, day two years in a row. Though. Yeah, one of the things, like, that Maneri said was, like, you know, at least, you know, Alex Lang's been so good, he deserves to start opening day at least once in his, his career here, so we're going to move Poche back to Saturday, and, like, so far... <laughs> I think Jared Poche's kind of liking what he's doing on, on Saturdays. That hasn't uh, worked out too bad for him. And, yeah, I wouldn't mess yeah, with that in any way, no. shape, and or form. But, yeah, I mean, it's just... <laughs> I mean, you know, Poche's always been kind of that that gamer who's you know Lang's got the the stuff. He'll be the first round pick. Poche's kind of more the you know the good college pitcher. Not that he doesn't have stuff, but he's he's kind of more in that you know different mold. And yeah, I mean, he throws the no hitter, the seven inning no hitter against Army on week one, and now Maryland. I mean, obviously Maryland is struggling. You know, obviously. I'm sorry, Jim. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah, I had to talk to him. I had to talk about it uh, last week too. Yeah, Kevin Smith's been out of the gates. Work, work, slow, it, work, but, uh, work your way through it. Yeah, but uh, I mean, so that's yeah, it's been a tough couple weeks for the Terps, but uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, what he carries a no hitter into the ninth, and I think what was it an infield single that broke it up? It was an infield single to lead yeah. off the inning. So there you go. So yeah, I mean, that's but it wasn't a bunt though. Was it? it was not <laughs> a bunt. <laughs> no, no bunts. All right, would I think we would have bunt? heard about bunt. it if it was a bunt, but uh, but yeah, so I mean, that's I mean, that's I mean, that's really I mean, so what. Uh, 15 shutouts or 15 no hit innings, innings to start, start a season. That's, that's not easily done. No, doesn't matter. Don't care who you're, who you're pitching against. 
Definitely. I mean, it, it really is very impressive. And, you know, that's a guy that was drafted in the 14th round last year by the Padres, decides to come back, and, and right now, um, I mean, he has to be loving that. I mean, to, to be able to do that in the box, like, they're, uh, they're going to love him down there for a long time, um, you know, even if he'd gone out. But his senior, his senior farewell tour is off to a, a fantastic start. It is. Uh, other thing I wanted to ask you guys about before I left was Baylor not, uh, longest uh, win streak to open a season since 1984. St. John's longest since 1981. But what makes that cool was that was Frank Viola and John Franco both on the team. That is That's uh, incredible. <laughs> It is, is it is absolutely incredible. Um, and the Johnnies, 8-0. Um, mm, Johnnies, sorry. Have to, go, <laughs> have to go raft on that one. Well, they'll be playing uh, UNC on Wednesday, which, I mean, like, that feels like a basketball showdown. I mean, it's a, it's become a traditional game for them, uh, for Ed Blankmeyer likes to... When, when he's down in North Carolina for these early no, season tournaments. come here the last few yeah. years, feels like. I, I saw was, Joe Panic here I was uh, say, six I, years ago. Your your intern year was the Joe Panic versus uh, Levi Michael game. It I was. Saw, a uh, lot of heat on that game. It was, it was extremely cold outside. There was a ton of scouts at that game to measure up two of the better college shortstops. And obviously Panic has been the better pro by leaps and bounds. <laughs> I mean, Levi Michael had that groin injury that year and really never came back from that. No, um, but Joe Panic has been incredible. Yeah, he's been an incredible pro. And this St. John's team, they can hit. It's an older lineup. They've uh, they've really got a lot of uh, a lot of experience in that lineup, and they're leveraging it right now. Um, and they're uh, you know they they haven't played a series yet. They've been they've played two tournaments, but they've swept through those two tournaments. That includes a win at Coastal. I mean, they're uh, they're really rolling right now, and. Uh, you know, if they can, uh, they have a lot younger pitching, and if that younger pitching can hold up throughout the course of the season, um, you know, they are they're going to make a lot of noise in the Big East. You know, I mentioned Xavier, uh, kind of is the the preseason favorite and, and won it last year, but but St. John's is uh, is definitely going to give them a run for their money. They're hitting three sixty three as a team. That's ridiculous. So I'll leave you with that. Thanks for having me on the podcast, guys. I'm gonna, I got to, I have another more more podcasting to do. So keep 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 up the good work. Well, Jimmer, uh, one other series I wanted to uh, to touch on was um, Illinois-Chicago uh, going out and beating Vanderbilt. Um, we mentioned Wright State at the start of this, but the Horizon League yeah. now has two top ten series wins uh, two weeks into the season. I don't, I doubt, I, I shouldn't say this without looking this up, but I doubt the Horizon League has done that in, I don't know, Potentially ever, certainly in yeah, the last I would, few years. Yeah, I can't uh, can't imagine that's a, <laughs> a very common occurrence for for the not not to no disrespect to the Horizon League. But I can't imagine. Yeah, they Wright do that State, too often. very I good mean, program. Illinois, Chicago, been very consistent. Yeah. Uh, you know, those two used to be a little. You know, I mean, they they still are like the two the two programs yeah. in that league. Uh, Wisconsin, Milwaukee has has done a good uh, job yeah, too. A but years there. but Illinois, Chicago um, goes to Vanderbilt this weekend. Two extra inning wins. They uh, they this is the fifth time in I think it's seven years they've played this series. Mm-hmm. Um, entering this weekend, Vanderbilt was twelve and zero in those games. <laughs> um, and then on Friday night, UIC goes out and they. They win in extra innings. They beat Kyle Wright, you know, your preseason All-American. And it's after, on, on that Friday game, the game starts with Jaron Kendall hitting a leadoff home run. Mm-hmm. And UIC easily could have, you know, just said, like, oh, okay, so this is how it's going to be, and, you know, become overwhelmed. But UIC, to their credit, they took that punch, and they, they just absorbed it. Mm-hmm. And their starter, Jake Dahlberg, He's very experienced, good, solid left-hander. He goes out and, you know, he keeps them in the game, and, and, and they're able to come back and, and knock off the Commodores in, um, in game one. And it was, Sunday was kind of the same type of start. Like, Vandy scored twice in the first. Yeah. And, and that's that was, after and that's it. Yeah, and Van, so Vanderbilt, score, Vanderbilt wins on Saturday, scores twice in the first inning on Sunday. Easily, again, that's, that's another opportunity mm-hmm. for a lesser team to fold, you know, to, to say, okay, we – you know, we had our little moment we, there. Yeah, we gave it a run, the, and you know Vanderbilt now is going to take this over. But UIC again gets a, a solid start, and you know they chip away at the lead, and then they drop three runs in the eleventh. Any uh, any concern on the part of the Vandy boys for you, or you know, it's not a good look, um, and I'm not quite sure what happened here. You know, when Clemson lost last weekend. 
um, I I had I guess I feel like I had a better understanding for what happened. To I feel Clemson. like we kind, of, we kind of had a better handle what Clemson's potential weaknesses weaknesses were, yes. could be. And Wright or uh, Wright State exploited them. Vanderbilt's weaknesses I, they definitely exist. Uh, they're maybe not as glaring as Clemson's, um, given what Clemson what happened to Clemson a year ago in terms of their pitching. Uh, but Vanderbilt. I did have a little bit of a concern coming into the year that they're a little – there is talent on that team. There is so much talent yeah. on that team. But Jaron Kendall and Kyle Wright are – I mean, they, they kind of are like these two cornerstones. They have to carry a lot of the load. They really need Kendall to be the, the offensive uh, focal point, and they need Kyle Wright to be really good on Friday nights. And the rotation after that, Patrick Raby, who won on Saturday, he's been very good, very consistent. Uh, but there, there wasn't a clear Sunday starter coming into the year. There wasn't a clear closer coming into the year at Vanderbilt. So Vanderbilt's still working some things out. They're still pretty young. They're playing a lot of sophomores uh, this year from that number one ranked recruiting class a year ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think they will work it out because, there again, there is just so much talent there. The staff knows what it's doing. Right. But I think there is some some of this early season, just like who fits best where. Uh, I, I feel like some of that's going on right now. And um, again, this is a team that they had handled so well in recent history mm-hmm. that I think there is a, a little bit of a concern. But I, I think it's also you know I, I it, you're definitely not hitting the panic button if you're a Vanderbilt fan. Um, but I, I think there is. I mean, there has to be. This has to be a wake up call. Uh, for the Commodores, that uh, you know, you ha- you have to come out and, and play your best. Um, that the teams aren't going to roll over for you, uh, and, and they're going to face more tough competition exactly. this week. I mean, you got Southeastern Southeast Louisiana, Louisiana. very good. Yeah, that's a consistent regional contender at least. St. Mary next week they play St. Mary's, who was a regional team last year. Yeah, and that's not to overlook Northridge this no. year, who yeah. uh, you know, if you when you talk to Big West coaches, um, you know, a lot of them feel like Northridge can take a step forward this year. And I mean, there's there's going to be uh, some some real competition there again this weekend. And they so. open Vandy opens conference play at Ole Miss. Yeah, so and, and then Ole Miss, weeks to be ready, Ole Miss followed by Texas A and M. Like yeah. so. You know, I mean, that, it's not like I mean, obviously in the SEC there are no real breaks, but you know, you may, maybe you would, you know, you can't open against uh, Georgia and Missouri. Yeah, have been uh, preferable. I mean, to to have to go on the road to open the season and then then to see A and M coming in the next week, and um, I mean, you've got to be ready to go for that. And they have a, they still have a few weeks, a couple weeks here to to get ready. Um, you know they beat a really good San Diego team, a mm-hmm. really solid San Diego team that, that then went out this weekend and won the Tony Gwynn Classic. Um, they went out to San Diego and won a series there. So um, you know coming off of that, you know I felt I felt better about Vanderbilt. Um, but now they've lost back to back starts from Kyle Wright to start the season. And mm-hmm. Again, I, that is not the way you want to be living if you're Vanderbilt. You no. want to you want to be winning. I mean, everyone wants to win on Friday night, but the way Vanderbilt's set up, I mean, they have this first team All American throwing yeah. on Friday nights. You want to be winning with that guy, and then yeah, when you don't win when with your best guy, whether he's throwing Friday or some teams use their races on Saturday or what have you, it's still it's gonna it makes sure it's making your life tougher. Right. So Vanderbilt doesn't have a whole lot of time to to. to Feel sorry for themselves here because no. that southeastern team. If uh, if they aren't ready for them with these they two midweek games, yeah, I mean they uh, this could this could potentially uh, carry over. But you know, again, we, that staff is not going to allow them to do that. So no. I, I think they'll be ready to go in the midweek and uh, they'll they'll get some things straightened out here. Not a, like I mentioned earlier, not a whole lot of movement in the poll. Vanderbilt's drop was uh, to uh, fourteen. Yeah, they, falling from nine to fourteen. I think they actually might have been the biggest movers in the poll. Uh, I guess Oklahoma State dropped from twenty to twenty. They kind of had that holdover. Right, we Grand were, Canyon series. That... When uh, when the last poll came out, the uh, Grand Canyon series was was not over because they got delayed a day due to the the uh, bad weather out west. So yeah, those are those are the two two teams that dropped. East Carolina and North Carolina State enter the top ten, um, and uh, I mean that that was 
There was not a whole lot of pull movement. Uh, I think we appreciated no. that. Uh, yeah, we were, probably will change this week with a lot of uh, all these ranked teams playing each other. I mean, when you consider that a fifth of this top 25 is going to be a Minute Maid, yeah, um, teams have to lose. So <laughs> Someone's got to lose. If you don't like the rankings this week, check back in a week. We're going to know a lot more about a lot of teams, mm-hmm. and there is go- I promise you movement. I promise you a lot of movement. Um, in next week's uh, edition of the rankings. I'm already not really looking forward to that yeah, it was uh, nice when discussion. Our, our, uh, our rankings call took about 20 minutes last night, which is probably a record. So. I, I, would, I would imagine. And that 20 minutes is includes... The, like I, I think we only spent about 10 minutes actually ranking. Yeah. Uh, like Everything was so simple that um, you know, we, were, we were able to, to accomplish this much quicker than... Uh, than we usually are. I do not think that that is going to be the case in a week's time. Well, Jimmer, I think that uh, covers the uh, the weekend pretty well. We're looking forward to uh, another very exciting week. We've we've talked about all these these tournaments that are coming but, up uh, here. Long Beach at Carolina series is kind of the locally is probably the biggest. Uh, Thing. We know we'll have some people at that uh, that one. Absolutely, uh, you know, Long Beach and Carolina were both preseason top twenty-five teams. Beaches dropped out, but they uh, they rebounded over the weekend, sweeping Fordham. They got another really tough test, uh, having to come come to North Carolina, who is undefeated. Um, you know, so they're uh, and, and UNC is a really tough week with uh, with St. John's and, and then Long Beach. Uh, UNC is not going anywhere, uh, but we I, that's another team that I think we're going to know a lot more about. Um, this time next week, and then obviously South Carolina. The big, yeah, yeah, I mean the biggest, the biggest rivalry uh, of the weekend is Clemson South Carolina. Um, that's always a fun series. Um, you know, when, huge crowds all over the Palmetto State. Wherever they go, yeah, yeah. I mean, those, yeah, that format is just so so much fun with the at each side and with the game in. Uh, I assume it's in Greenville again. It is in Greenville. They start this year. Um, wait, I thought I had it pulled up. They start this year in uh, in Clemson, and then they conclude in Columbia with Greenville in the middle. Last the last two years, Clemson has won this series, so South Carolina um, definitely looking to uh, to snap that that skid and, and um, you know take advantage of the fact that the series closes in Columbia. Uh, last year they won the game in Columbia, and they weren't able to win the next two. So they're they're going to have to find a way to win. Uh, find a way to win with uh, Michael and Anna present is the real a- absolutely the real challenge for them. <laughs> um, but you know, we mentioned their rotation at the start of this: Clark Schmidt, Will Crow, Adam Hill. I mean, they're uh, they're going to be tough to beat. But Clemson has the offense, obviously, as we know with, with Seth Beer and, and and company. They're going to score some runs. So it'll be a it'll be a fun weekend. Somebody's strength has to win, and, yeah. and I, th- I think that's. That adds even, and you wonder if like you're just kind of looking back at Clemson's week, winning that one nothing game on Friday. You wonder what I mean. You feel like that kind of would give them some some kind of a confidence builder for them, and also their midweek game. They were down like five to one to Western Carolina, and came back to win. So maybe they've kind of broken out of that little uh, whatever little malaise they might have had on opening weekend. I mean, they're uh, they better have because yeah. if they have, they they're, they're, South yeah. Carolina yeah, is going will, to explode. They, yeah, for sure. <laughs> So, you and then know, they jump into ACC play, which right. opens uh, week four. Right. So, and uh, I mean, the, it's it's all coming at us pretty fast here. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there there's no slowdown in this schedule, um, and that make, that's what makes college baseball fun. Is that uh, you know if you don't if you don't like uh, what, what happened today, well tomorrow gives you another opportunity. If you don't like this weekend, well next weekend is uh, it's another really tough opponent coming in, or, or just another opportunity to go out and play and. Um, you know, South, Clemson took advantage of that, going out, sweeping Elon after that Wright State series, and uh, they're going to have the opportunity to, to really capitalize this weekend at potential marquee early season series win. And um, last year, I, I think that really, really helped them in terms mm-hmm. of national seeds, hosting sure. and everything. Uh, they wind up sneaking that last national seed a year ago, and I, I would have to imagine that a, lot, that a, a part of the, the reason was – that they had this really nice series win against absolutely, South Carolina. Absolutely, that was absolutely was a, a big deal for them because they were not. Uh, I think they won't finish what fifth in the ACC or something like that, fifth or sixth. And yeah, so that I mean, so they finished hot and they won the ACC tournament was probably the those were huge pieces of it too. But yeah, the South having that non conference series win was a, a huge thing on their resume. 
it's kind of crazy to think about RPI and and oh, it's never far from my uh, mind, you right? Know <laughs> Absolutely not. But it, I mean, it, these all matter. Yeah, like, every that's, game that's counts. The thing. All that was the thing with games you know, with, you know we, we, we've been talking about these uh, Clemson and Vandy losing these series. Is that I mean, you figure you know, right states RPI will you know it's not like they're going to be in the two hundreds, but that's they not were top hundred last. Yeah, year. so they so they they could be UIC, I guess. If they turn out to win the the horizon, maybe they could be. But it's I didn't still... mention this, but UIC lost to Purdue A and M on opening day. Well, they went they went two them. and two in the MLB Urban Youth Invitational. They lost their first two games, and so they, they probably won will not be. Two. So I mean, so that's going to be that's going. I mean, that's going to hurt Vanderbilt. I mean, yeah. that's that's yeah, that doesn't that stays a uh, stays on your permanent record there. So um, and then kind of what I mean, just kind of like like Lafayette getting a good non conference series win at Sam Houston. That's another one of the you know probably the one of, if not the best team in the Southland. And it's on uh, the road, too. On the road, too. Um, after they had had a slow start. Uh, I think we talked about uh, West Virginia winning a, a game at Coastal. And they'll play again today, I believe. That game is underway, yes. Yeah, there you go. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this... And uh, just kind of talking about that tournament with Arizona that they're in with Oklahoma State. So, yeah, all these... I mean, it all, all these... Especially, the, you know, when you get some neutral or road games, that, that can be a big... That's a big help for you. Absolutely. Um, it's always interesting talking to coaches about their scheduling philosophies and how much some of them are thinking about RPI all the time and how they're trying to game, you know, getting the best RPI they can. And, um, you know, that's when you see teams playing difficult schedules, not only is that fun for fans, but that's also very beneficial for, yeah, for the for teams. Sure. When, when you see Fullerton opening against Stanford this weekend, they travel to Houston after winning a series at UNLV and they play two midweeks at Arizona state. Like all of that is going to be very helpful to Fullerton as they, you know, have their eye on hosting or, or national seeds or all that sort of thing. So especially a team and from a, you know, from a, from a non-power conference, you got to. Well, be I mean, last year, uh, last year, obviously, every West Coast RPI yeah. was strangely low, and you know, so if if that's going to happen again, and I don't think it will. I don't think you think it will either. I don't think a sub five hundred team is going to win the Pac twelve. <laughs> right. Um, so you know, in a more normal year. Fullerton plays this schedule like they do, they get a really nice RPI out of it and and go on and host. And frankly, the fact that they played as difficult a schedule as they did last year potentially helped them. They didn't need an at-large bid, but it might have have been very... Yeah, no, I think it it still would have been beneficial. Yeah, they were certainly an at-large territory. And um, so, I mean, and absolutely just... Playing this difficult competition yeah. helps you as, as you go on. So that's, what, the, that's the the bottom line. A, every game counts. And, yeah, playing road and neutral games against good teams, is it'll look good for you, you know, a couple months from now. That's what this weekend is going to be all about. Coaches love these tournaments, especially in Houston. You hear about it all the time from them that this feels like a regional. So yeah. that's what this weekend is for a lot of teams. It's a it's a preview. Uh, it's, a, it's a tune-up for regionals. That's the other thing I've heard uh, one of the coaches I talked to, I think last year, said that one of the th- reasons you like to do tournaments like this is just playing a different good team every day is a way to sim- it's a simulating a regional in that way, too. Absolutely. So it'll be an exciting weekend. Uh, we're going to have plenty of coverage of it over at BaseballAmerica.com, and then we will be back here uh, next Monday to talk about it and uh, react to it to what should be a very entertaining weekend in college baseball. Uh, there should also be, uh, you can also catch us on Thursday over on Facebook live. Um, somebody will be here. I don't know if it will be me, uh, due to travel schedules. Uh, but somebody will be talking, previewing the weekend, probably Mike Lanana. Uh, and again, all of our content over at baseballamerica.com. And, uh, thank you all for, for listening. Uh, thanks to John. Thanks to Jim for joining me. I've been Teddy Cahill and, uh, we'll be back here next week. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.